uh, study it together this morning, the whole of this chapter. We're taking simply as our theme three words that appear over and over again uh, in Genesis chapter 5, the words, and he died, and he died. Those of you who subscribe to the Covenanter Witness will perhaps have read a very interesting book review in our latest issue, a book review written by a former member of this congregation, Sarah MacDonald, better known perhaps to some of you as Sarah McCulloch. Uh, And Sarah reviewed a a series of books called Out of Time. Uh, The story of the Out of Time books is set in a a future United States uh, where there has been a a terrible nuclear war across the world and the United States is a much-changed country. In the eastern half of the country, the government has planned out the lives of all its citizens right down to the year, the day, the hour, the second of every citizen's death and every citizen is given a clock by the government a a watch that is ticking down to the moment that they take their last breath just imagine living with that ticking clock imagine that strapped to your hand or on the screen of your phone all day every day was this countdown to the moment of your own death well, actually, actually, friends, that is exactly the case for every single one of us. We might not be able to see the clock. Uh, we might not see it ticking down. But with every second of every day that passes, we know that every one of us is getting closer and closer towards the moment of our own death. That's not something that we like to think about. Indeed, many of us go out of our way to avoid thinking about it. And perhaps we wish to escape it somehow. Countless stories have been written over the past few decades uh, about people trying to control time, trying to change time, and even traveling through time. Some of you will have grown up watching the the Back to the Future movies. Uh, Time travel crops up also sometimes in the Harry Potter books. There has been many a, a corny or cheesy love song talking about wanting to turn back the hands of time. There's this fascination in some people with the idea of controlling our own destiny, of stopping or turning back time itself. But unless it's written into a science fiction story, stopping time or turning back time is just not possible. Eventually, all of us will find ourselves out of time. And that is one of the main lessons that Genesis chapter 5 wants to teach us. It begins with Adam, the the first founder of the human race. And it takes us all the way to Noah, who became, the, in a sense, the second founder of the human race because of the flood. And Moses records for us here a family tree from Adam all the way to Noah, showing us how God preserved the godly line of Seth down through the generations, down through the centuries. But three words are repeated in this chapter over and over again that we need to consider. And they are the words that we take as our theme today. And he died. And he died. Just keeps being repeated over and over again. Our culture sometimes may prefer not to think about death. Even at times people today try to make a joke out of death. But friends, God's word demands that we take death seriously. 
A dying man is preaching to you right now. I am going to die someday. You are going to die. Unless the Lord Jesus returns first, we are all going to die. We need to recognize that and we need to be ready for that. I want to think nonetheless, first of all today from Genesis 5, about the blessings that we can enjoy despite death. Some of the blessings that we can enjoy despite death. Genesis 5 verse 1 begins a new section of the book of Genesis. Notice the words, this is the book, or it could also be, this is the record of the generations of Adam. We've dealt with the line of Cain. We saw in chapter 4 how Cain and his descendants were ungodly. They they did not uh, call upon God. Uh, And so we now turn our attention to Cain's brother Seth and his descendants. And the chapter actually begins by reassuring us about a few things. Because ever since the fall in Genesis 3, we've seen things going from bad to worse amongst human beings. As I mentioned, we saw Cain and his sin of murdering his brother. Uh, Similar sins were committed by his descendants. There was no sign at all in Genesis 4 that Cain or his family worshipped God and wanted a relationship with God. And so things have been getting worse and worse to the point where the reader might be left thinking, is there really any more point to human existence at all, even in these early days of of human life? Uh, I mean, if everyone's just going to go from bad to worse, if the world is becoming such a mess, is there any more point to it? Well, in fact, Genesis 5 shows us that despite the terrible results of human sin, there were still blessings for human beings to enjoy. Notice the language of chapter 5, verse 1. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them. You notice that the language there is very deliberately echoing Genesis 1, verse 27, which says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so Genesis 5 here at this juncture in the the book takes time to remind us of that. And it's restating for us, friends, that human beings, despite all that has gone wrong, they are still made in the image of God, despite their sin. And then look at verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And again, the language is very deliberate there. What it's saying is that Adam's children, uh, Adam's son Seth and all his descendants, they are image bearers of God as well. To be conceived, to be created male or female, is to be an image bearer of God. That was not lost despite the fall. We considered in more detail last year when we were studying Genesis 1 to 3, we thought in more detail about what it means to be made in God's image. There's lots we could say about it, but at the very least, it means that we are all created with innate dignity, value, and worth. God has made human beings, all human beings, born or unborn, male or female, white, black, or brown. He has made us to know him and to have relationship with him. That's why it was deeply saddening and frustrating this week that 
uh, right there at the end of the parliamentary session in Stormont, a bill was passed that prohibits people from uh, protesting outside clinics where abortions take place. It's now illegal to pray outside an abortion clinic or to offer uh, advice to those who are going into those clinics. And it's just another sign of the lack of respect and care that our society has for unborn children. Human beings are still the pinnacle of God's creation. We matter to God infinitely more than anything else that he has made. And Genesis 5 begins by reassuring us that despite uh, the sinfulness of human beings, we still bear the image of God and therefore we can still know God and can be known by God and we still have immense purpose in our existence. And this is why we should value every human life and work to protect and nurture it, whether it's the Afghan or Ukrainian refugee, the woman being physically or sexually abused, the unborn child in the womb, the aged, the feeble, the failing, all of us are image bearers of God. All human life remains immensely valuable. So that's one blessing that we still enjoy. Another blessing that God continued to give the human race despite their sin was that humans were still able to reproduce and have families. All the men in this family tree became fathers of sons and daughters. They got married, they had children, they raised a family. God had told Adam and Eve, Genesis 2.15, that in the day they ate of the fruit, they would die. And of course, they did immediately die spiritually. The, the relationship, the perfect relationship that they had with God was immediately ruined and destroyed. But physically, Adam and Eve did not die, it seems, for a very, very long time. And Genesis 5 shows us that God's original intentions for mankind to be fruitful, to multiply, to have children, again, it's still possible despite sin. Our sin and the curse that Satan brought into the world does not have the final say. God's desire to bless his creation still stands. And that's seen partly through the fact that human beings were able to have families and raise children. And the final blessing demonstrated in the godly line of Seth in chapter 5 is that despite death, people can still approach God and worship. Despite sin and death, people can still approach God and worship Again, this is hinted for us in, at the very end of Genesis chapter 4, the verse on the sheet today for the boys and girls. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The family of Seth worshipped God. As the years went by, there was this cluster of people in the world who still sought to know and love the Creator, Yahweh. And we see that in, we see that in some of the things that we learn about the men in this list, which we'll think about more shortly. And so friends, here's a reminder that the things most precious to many of us in life, our humanity, our, our families, our gifts, our worship, they are, they are all given to us by God. They are blessings that he bestows upon us despite all that is wicked and wrong in this world. God has made you and despite your sin, even if you're not a Christian today, God has shown abundant goodness to you. 
The mere fact that you've been born in this particular country is a blessing from God. Our country is far from perfect. Indeed, we face immense challenges right now of one kind or another. But the the security, the the freedoms, the, the relative comfort of this country far exceed many in the world today. And God has blessed you to be born in the time and place where you were. Maybe you struggle with a sense of purpose or identity. An increasing number of people in our culture do. Maybe you even think to yourself at times, why am I here? What is the the point of it all? Would anyone really care if I wasn't here any longer? Well, friends, the same creator God who made the Moor Mountains and the Atlantic Oceans and the forests and the jungles and the things that creep and crawl and move along in them, he also made you. And he made you in his image to know him, to love him, to enjoy him, and to live your life to his honor and glory. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You have been put here by God. You are known by God. You can know with assurance that you are loved by God. If you call upon the name of the Lord, as Seth and his family did. And so even in this very solemn passage of scripture, there's wonderful reassurance. We are not an accident of Adam's. We are image bearers of God made to know and enjoy blessings from him. So the blessings that we can still enjoy despite death, but then secondly, and This is really where we want to spend more of our time today. The certainty that we will face death. The certainty that we will face death. I'm sure you're all familiar with the word memento. Uh, A a memento, not not a memento, not the sweet, but a, a memento is anything we have that is special to us because it reminds us of someone or something that we love, that we that is precious to us. It can be absolutely anything. Uh, Maybe uh, for some of you ladies, it will be the first Mother's Day card that a child actually made or wrote for themselves. Uh, Maybe a little trophy from school, a a photo of, of a special occasion, anything at all. But the word memento is actually part of uh, a Latin phrase, according to one preacher that, 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 uh, that used this illustration, it's part of a, a Latin phrase, memento more. Uh, the phrase memento more became popular in the Middle Ages. It would sometimes be inscribed on on people's desks or in a prominent place in their homes. Sometimes they put the words next to a little skull. Memento mori means remember that you have to die. Remember that you have to die. This is the most solemn, important truth that we could possibly consider. And it's the main lesson of this chapter that unless Christ returns first, You and I are going to die someday. For nine out of ten of the men recorded in this chapter, death literally gets the final word about them. And then he died. He died. The irony, of course, is that the men listed in this chapter lived for incredibly long periods of time before they died. And of course, some people struggle with that. They just cannot believe that human beings ever lived such long lives. Uh, Verse 5 says that the very first human man, Adam, lived for 930 years. 
Uh, the oldest man who ever lived, according to the Bible here, was Methuselah for 969 years, almost a millennium. Uh, can we even begin to imagine living that length of time? Uh, some people have been remarking recently upon the incredible long life that the Queen has been enjoying. She's coming up on 100 years old. Well, some of these men live for nearly 10 times longer than that. And of course, a lot of ink gets spilled, particularly by the more modern commentators trying to explain this. Uh, some of them come up with various interpretations to explain away the idea that this is literally the case, that these people literally lived for hundreds of years. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's right. And I don't think it requires a great deal of explanation. This is God's word. God's word is entirely true and perfect, and we can trust it and believe it. But I'll just say a few things briefly about the incredible ages that these men reached. First of all, very few men in Scripture are described as living for hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, these men are almost the only men. After the flood, the only people who live even past the age of 100 are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, as well as Job, Moses, Joshua, and King Jehoiada elsewhere in the scriptures. And none of those men lived very far, very far past the age of 100. So it's not as if the Bible is jam-packed full of people who lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. Secondly, the men who lived for hundreds and hundreds of years did so before the flood. We'll consider this more when we get there, but there is good, good evidence from Scripture to suggest that the climate, the atmosphere of the earth perhaps drastically was changed by the flood and that those changes brought about um, uh, could well have had a, a drastic impact on human health and life and the length of human life on earth. Thirdly, the Bible is not the only book that speaks of people living for hundreds and hundreds of years in the ancient world. In fact, there are other ancient writings that make uh, even more drastic and eye-popping claims about how long people used to live. Uh, one document, the Sumerian king list from the ancient land of Mesopotamia, uh, claims that human beings used to live for thousands of years, not just hundreds of years. Not saying that's necessarily true, but it speaks to the fact that there are, uh, there are actually ancient records from all different parts of the world, from Egypt and Greece, from China, many other places that make these types of claims. Uh, the Reverend Donnelly preaching on this topic said there is a, an ancient memory in human history of a time when people lived for a very, very long time. And fourthly, the curse of sin was always going to drastically limit physical human life. The curse of sin was always going to drastically limit human life eventually. Human beings didn't live for hundreds and hundreds of years for a very long time, if that makes sense. <laughs> Indeed, by the time of Moses, people were not expected to reach even a hundred years, it seems. Moses says in Psalm 90 verse 10, we sang it earlier, the years of our life are 70, or by reason of strength, 80. And of course, that's a general poetic statement from Moses, but it's saying that generally speaking, people even by that time were not living past 70 or 80 years, generally speaking. And so if anything, friends, the incredible lifespan of these people 
bears witness to the fact that human beings were never supposed to die in the first place. One of the ways in which people try to cope with death in our country today is by saying that death is natural. Some people even come out with a very strange statement. They say that death is a part of life. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Death is entirely, death is the most unnatural thing in the world. Had human beings not sinned, we would never have died. Death does not belong. And Genesis 5 actually hints at that by the fact that the earliest human beings lived far, far longer than we do now, probably because the human body was far more powerful, far closer to perfect than our bodies are now. Health and fitness and wellness are more popular in our culture now than ever. Some people are obsessed with it. You look at some celebrities, you know, actors or musicians or athletes, and they're able to stay in incredible shape for far longer. Some of them are in their 50s and they look more like they're in their 30s. But the fact remains that people are still, with all, none, with all of that notwithstanding, they are very unlikely to live past 80, 90, 100 years of age. The human body today, friends, even the strongest and fittest human body is a shadow of what it used to be. If Adam or Seth or Enoch could see us now, they would probably hardly recognize us as being the same species. They'd think we were so puny and sickly and small. Boys and girls, you've maybe seen those silly charts that try and get us to believe that we went from stooped over monkeys and gradually we've got less and less stooped over until eventually we became the human beings we are now. Well, in some ways, the chart almost has it backwards. We started off far bigger, far stronger, far better than we are now, and we got more and more feeble because of this curse of sin in this world. It will only be when we receive our resurrection bodies that we realize what being human is really all about. We'll be able to jump higher, run quicker, understand more easily, complete tasks more efficiently. We will live unimaginably better lives than we do at the minute. The long lives of these earlier human beings testifies to that. But the last thing, and the most important thing to say, friends, about these human beings who live for so long, even for hundreds and hundreds of years, is that they still died. They still died, no matter how long they lived. Some of them living for nearly a millennium. They still died. Psalm 90 says that for God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, a thousand years is nothing to God. And yet none of these human beings even made it to a thousand years. They died. What did they do for a living? We don't know. What did they do for fun? We don't know. What were their personalities like? We don't know. They lived, they fathered children, and they died. And the solemn reality that we need to consider today is that someday that's all, that's, that's all most people will know about you and me. In a hundred years, no one will be talking about what I did last Tuesday. 
or where I like to spend my holidays or what my favorite books or films were. I'll be gone. And unless the Lord Jesus has come back, the world will have moved on. There might be some interested descendant who digs around trying to put together the family tree and comes across your name and your photograph and jots down two or three bullet points about you, but no one else will. Do you know the name of your great-grandfather? Do you know the name of your great-great-grandfather? Do you know what he did for a living? Do you know what his personality was like? Do you know what made him laugh? I would guess you don't. He's dead and gone and someday you will be too. I mentioned the magazine earlier and the book review and it's a few pages over from the book review are the obituaries. And someday an obituary will appear with your name at the top. Someday your family will carry your coffin containing your body out of your home and into your grave. And it will be said of you as it was said of these men, he died, she died. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Have you thought about the certain day of your death? Have you thought about the fact that after physical death, your spirit will still exist? In J.M. Barry's book, Peter Pan, Captain Hook says, Peter Pan, it's time for you to die. Peter Pan replies, to die will be an awfully big adventure. For the Christian, death, in a sense, will be an adventure. It will be a doorway to heaven where you will go to be with the Lord Jesus and wait for your body's resurrection. But if you're not a Christian, death will not be an adventure. It will be a doorway to hell, where you will be punished forever for the sins of your life on earth. You are going to die. I am going to die. We are all going to die. It's the only certain thing about your life. And there is nothing that we can do ourselves about it. The certainty that we will face death. But then thirdly and finally today, the possibility of defeating death. The possibility of defeating death. Look at Genesis 5 verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch, we're told, walked with God and he was not, for God took him. I'm going to give much more time to thinking about Enoch uh, next time, God willing, but we can't leave the passage this week without thinking about him for just a few moments. Enoch, we're told, did not die. He was taken. Uh, and the wording there is the same description used of Elijah, at 2 Kings chapter 2, you remember Elijah was taken up to heaven with the chariots of fire. And before he's taken to heaven, Moses twice says of Enoch that he walked with God. He walked with God. Now this does not mean that Enoch was the only one of all these men who 
had a relationship with God and who loved God. Again, this whole family, we're told, called in the name of the Lord, these men at least. So it's not that Enoch was the only believer in his family, but Enoch was a particularly godly believer. He was a particularly holy, godly man. If you do your Bible sums, you discover, and the boys and girls can see this on their sheet this morning, you discover that Adam was still alive for almost the entirety of Enoch's life. And surely what must have happened was that Enoch listened to Adam proclaiming the covenant mercies of God. Is it so hard to imagine that Enoch and all these other men repeatedly heard Adam proclaim the first gospel? I will put enmity between the serpent and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, God had said. He, the seed of the woman, will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will strike his heel. And surely Enoch, like Adam and Abel before him, drew near to God in faith, believing those words, (coughs) offering his sacrifices, worshipping God in holy fear. Enoch walked with God. And God just took him away. And surely it was also the case for Noah's father, Lamech. A different Lamech, you understand, to the one that we learned about in chapter 4. Two different men with the same name. Lamech expresses his hope in Genesis 5, verse 29, that his son Noah, perhaps it's through Noah that God will begin to undo the curse of sin in the world. If you look at verse 29, Uh, He called his name Noah. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from our painful toil. And the chapter doesn't end with the words, and he died. The chapter ends with Noah and with new life coming into Noah's family, the arrival of his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Enoch and Noah, friends, are Old Testament signposts to us, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Death is a certainty because of our sin. Death reigned in all men because all sinned, Paul says. And yet Enoch shows us here, friends, the possibility of being spared from death. God simply took him away. What a comfort that would have been for human beings in those early centuries after the fall. Not only do they hear the gospel that God gave to Adam, that there will be a saviour, there will be a serpent crusher, but there's Enoch who is just taken to be with God and escapes death. And even for us today, Enoch's being taken to heaven is a reminder that we too, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, can one day be in heaven, free from death forever. Some of you know that your loved ones, though recently gone from this scene of time, they, they now enjoy the beginnings of that better life. Their souls are in heaven, safe with Christ, joyful with Christ, awaiting the resurrection that we're all waiting for when we will live and enjoy life far beyond any life we have had up until then. There is the possibility, friends, of defeating death by repenting of sin and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died 
but who now is risen and has conquered death for us. One day you and I are going to find ourselves out of time. Our clock will have ticked down to zero. But if we confess our sins, we can live. We can be taken as Enoch was to the right hand of God where there is everlasting life and where there are pleasures forevermore because of the Lord Jesus Christ. May that be the case for each one of us today by God's grace. Amen.